welcome everybody. It's great to see you guys and uh, everybody at Montrose, everybody watching online. Uh, thanks for joining us as well. I uh, hope you guys are going to take advantage of those Christmas programs. So we just opened up another one and opened up some tickets. Uh, so I want you to be a part of that. If you usually join us online, I want you to grab those tickets, come in uh, for an in-person celebration. And what we really work hard to do is we really work hard to make Jesus make sense in, in those, uh, those services. So if you have a friend or a roommate or something like that, where they're struggling to kind of figure out or they're curious about who Jesus is and what he's like, we try to make that as clear as possible in those Christmas programs. And so uh, that's why we do the tickets, so that when you invite somebody, you can know that you'll have a seat for sure, and uh, we want you to take advantage of that. So for, for them and for you, grab those, and it'll, it'll save your seat, and uh, we'll have a great, great uh, celebration together. And if you usually watch online, I look forward to meeting you uh, when you come in, you'll be shocked how much more attractive I am in person. Uh, so come in and, and be a part of that. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. All right. Uh, we've been talking about anxiety here for the last few weeks. And um, uh, I was trying to think through like these different levels of anxiety. And I was kind of thinking it through this way. Uh, I was thinking uh, if I was writing a book, if I was going to take this series and turn it into a book, uh, which I'm not planning on, but I might. Um, uh, what chapters would be missing in that, <clears throat> in that book? And as I was thinking about that, kind of to, to complete our conversations, um, I was thinking there's probably two chapters that are, that are missing in this book. Uh, one is a, a chapter about when anxiety uh, becomes despair, kind of a deep, deep anxiety. And then the other chapter that's probably missing is uh, how loneliness is tied to anxiety. And, and what do we do when we're kind of trapped in, in loneliness? And so uh, those are the next two chapters we kind of want to go through together, right? So uh, everything we've talked about so far, it's on the app, it's online, it's, it's worth a download and a listen. And this weekend, I want to talk about despair. And then next weekend, we're going to talk about loneliness and how all that, that plays together, okay? So when you think about despair, this is what happens uh, when you think about anxiety, so we have like worry, stress, pressure, fatigue, fear, insecurities, all that kind of stuff, and, and that is kind of the level we've been talking about. I think we all would recognize that there's moments in life when all of that clicks onto a different level, that, that it moves from kind of the pressures of life, the frustrations of life, the insecurities of life, and it clicks on a different level where now I feel like I'm in trouble. I feel like I'm in despair. I feel like things are kind of deeply painful and broken. And I'm dealing with anxiety kind of on a deeper and kind of a, on a darker level, so to say. And we all go through these times of despair. I, I think despair is usually tied to loss. And, and in that loss, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and just kind of these like overwhelming uh, measures of it. But when you think about despair, it's usually because there's a loss. Now, it may be the loss of a dream. It may be the loss of an expectation. Like I, I studied hard. I didn't get into that grad school. Uh, I always dreamt that that would be our next move in life. It's not, that move's not happening. So it's the loss of a dream. A lot of times, it's the loss of a relationship. So something broke. The marriage broke. 
the family broke, the roommate broke, my best friend and I don't talk anymore. And that would, that would push down into those levels of like a despair. And then sometimes it is death itself. Uh, somebody I love passed away and the vacancy that is there and the life change that is there. But when you think about despair, it's usually tied to that idea of loss. And when kind of the pressures of life the fears of life and the worries of life get compounded with the losses of life, now I'm talking about living in a place of despair, right? So I was thinking about this, kind of working on this all week. It's actually kind of hard to talk about, to be honest with you, because I was thinking about how, how do you talk about it? Like, do, do you do um, five things to help you when you're in despair? That sounds like shallow or something, you know, just do this, you'll be fine, so it sounds shallow. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll take you into scripture, and like there's five places in scripture where God says this, and that feels patronizing. Like when I'm in despair and you throw a verse at me, I just wanna punch you in the face. I'm just being honest with you, I really wanna punch you in the face when you do that. Like it's, it's just not what I need right there, right? So I started thinking about like, maybe there's somebody's life that we could look at. So it's interesting in the Bible. Sometimes the Bible will give you a very direct answer, like do this, don't do this. Uh, sometimes the Bible will be, give you a very helpful principle, right? This is the principle, love your neighbor as yourself. Now let's talk about, let's kind of work that out. And then sometimes the Bible, God and the way he communicates with us through it is very almost empathetic. And what he'll do is he, he has like preserved for us uh, somebody else's story, and as we watch that person go through what we're going through, we can also watch like God interact with them and then we can like infer from that that God will interact with us that way too. And I think this times of despair, that's where we need to be. Uh, we need to watch somebody else go through it and kind of look what they did. But more than what they did, look where God was in it and that's why God preserved that for us so that we can see that that can be our journey too. So the person that I thought of was a person named Elijah. So Elijah, just his backstory for a second, Elijah was a spiritual leader in the first part of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And Elijah was a spiritual leader who God gave a very difficult assignment to. God basically told Elijah, go tell people stuff they don't wanna hear. And so Elijah did. He went and told people stuff they didn't want to hear, and it did not go well, right? So th those people were frustrated with God. They took it out on Elijah, and Elijah's life blew up. Uh, so he lost kind of his job. He lost his financial stability. Uh, he, the government got mad at him, and they were after him. The king was ticked off about it. Uh, a bunch of his friends betrayed him. Some of his friends were like murdered and so like he lost all of his relationships and all of this is because God like took him to a place. Elijah wasn't like, gee, God, I wish I could go there. God was like, Elijah, you go there. And then that all kind of blew up on him and he went from like nervous, worried, anxious and he went to a, a place of despair where people are mad at him, life has blown up He's going through a lot of like grieving and mourning. 
And it's fascinating to watch how God interacts with him and Elijah goes through this. So we'll kind of pick his story up in the book of 1 Kings. And this is where Elijah is kind of at his low point, right? So Elijah looks at God and he says, God, I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And that is the place and like the indicator of despair, where Elijah is like, I've had enough. Now, we can relate to that, right? Because all of us have been in situations in life where we look at God and we're like, I've had enough. Like, I cannot do this anymore. In fact, I not only can I not do it, I don't want to do it. Like, I want to be done with this. And that's where Elijah's at. And Elijah's like semi-suicidal here. He's like, just take me, Lord. But he's just looking and saying, I'm fried, like I'm done. And we get that way. We'll look and we'll say, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this marriage. I'm done trying to stay sober. I'm done with these kids. I'm done with this job. I'm done with this roommate. I'm done. I cannot do it anymore. That's where Elijah's at. I've had enough. And I want out. I want, I don't care anymore what the ramifications are. I don't care how people will think, or I don't really even care, God, what you think. I just want out of this place, right? And this happens to us in life, where we we get into moments of despair, where we say, I'm out, I'm exhausted, I can't take it, and Lord, I just want this all to go away. Right? And sometimes this happens to us for a little bit. Sometimes these are very long seasons, but it's moments that we can all get to. And kind of the indicator in your brain, when, when you move from like stress, worry, tension to despair, the indicator is I'm, I've had enough. I've had enough. Every once in a while, I'll get super tired and super overwhelmed. And I'll go home to Heidi and I'll be like, I'm, I'm like done. Like I'm done. Like these stiff neck, difficult people I'm supposed to lead. They're, they don't follow Jesus. They cheer for Michigan. Like, I, I'm like, I'm burned out. I'm shot. And every time I get to that place, I look at her. She's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to move to 200 acres. I want to move in the middle of it. And I want to be left alone for the rest of my life. That's what I want to do. And every time I say that, she looks at me and she's like, you will make it two weeks. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mean it. I'm not to, I'm, not, I'm not totally lost, but I'm done. And I need those circumstances to change, and I need, I need to know where God's at in it. That's what despair is. That's what it feels like, and that's where our friend Elijah was, right? Now, one of the ways that the Bible terms this place, over in the book of Psalms in the 23rd chapter, uh, the psalmist describes this place that I'm talking about as the darkest valley. So he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the old translations say the valley of the shadow of death, that I've lost something. And when I'm in that dark valley, when I'm in that place of despair, my head's spinning, my heart is hurting, my identity has usually been a f- deeply affected. Who am I now that that job's gone? Who am I now that I've lost that loved one? Like my identity, my identity has been deeply affected and I really feel alone. 
I feel like I'm, I'm all alone and I feel like I've been forgotten about and that's where Elijah uh, is when he says, God, I, I've had enough, right? So it's fascinating to watch how God interacts with Elijah when he's at that place. And it's fascinating how God interacts with him when he's in that darkest valley. So Elijah, uh, what he does, he's, everybody's after him, so he kind of takes off. He's kind of chilling and hiding out a little bit. And the Bible says this, again, in 1 Kings 19, is that he's kind of on the move. And, and what he did was he went and he laid down under a tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he laid back down. In the Old Testament, we're going to see in the next verse, this angel is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes to him when Elijah is at his lowest place. He kind of collapses under this tree. While he's sleeping, God bakes hot bread for him and gets him a jar of cool water and he wakes him up a little bit and says, Elijah, I want you to go ahead and eat. The angel of the Lord ministered to him in that moment of despair. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in Psalms chapter 46. And the psalmist says that God is our refuge and our strength an ever-present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. This is what happens. We're in these moments of despair. We're in, we're in the darkest valley. We feel alone and we feel forgotten. God, I am here. I'm overwhelmed. I've had enough. I want it to be done. I'm I'm alone and I'm forgotten. If I could get you to trust one thing in that moment, right? I would want you just to trust one thing. This is what happens. When we're in these moments, we're trying to figure it out. That's why our head's spinning. That's why our anxiety's high. That's why our heart's racing. And I'm trying to come up with a plan. I'm trying to come up with a direction. I'm trying to come up with a scenario. And I want God to make that scenario play out. I want out of this, and this is how I want out of this. And so we race and we race, and our mind races and races and races and races. And that leads us to be overwhelmed, and we feel alone, we feel forgotten. If I could give you one tool to lock on to in moments when you're in despair, it's this one thing. You only got to remember one thing. You don't have to remember the Bible. You don't have to remember my sermon. You don't have to remember the lyrics to a song. Just remember one thing. Ready? Here it is. The one thing you have to remember is that God is present. That's it. God's present. And Elijah's overwhelmed and he collapses and God is present. He knows his needs, hot bread, cool water. Elijah's overwhelmed, he's defeated, I've had enough, I want it done. God is always present in our time of trouble. And if we could boil down like how to function in despair, if I could just get to that, I feel alone, I feel forgotten, but I'm not alone and I'm not forgotten. That God is present in those moments. I wrote this down in my notes. 
God's now and how does not determine his presence. God's now and how does not determine his presence. So when I'm overwhelmed and I'm in despair, I'm looking at God and I'm like, I want you to fix this now. Like, it, this stinks. This hurts. Fix it now and let me tell you how. You, fix my kid. Fix him, God, somehow, su- supernaturally. Fix my wife. Fix her, smite her, whatever you gotta do. Like, just make it go away. Give me a new job. Fix my finances. Remove my doubts. Heal me. Make my, make my past go away. Give me my sobriety. I want it fixed now, and this is how. And if you don't fix it now, and you don't fix it how, I'm going to assume I'm all alone and I'm forgotten. And a lot of times, we feel all alone and all forgotten because our now doesn't match God's now, and our how doesn't match God's how. He must not be, he must not be listening to me. He must not be present. And God would look and say, yeah, that's not the way this rolls. It's not the way this rolls. We're on this journey for a reason. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And my timing and your timing are different things. And my pathway and your pathway are different things. And me not doing what you want when you want does not mean that I've forgotten about you and I've removed my presence from you. I am always present in your time of trouble. And if you can trust that, it's gonna cause you to see the hot bread and the cool water that I've set up for you all around you, right? And you see this, guys, you see this all the time because God's doing something different. You see this in Jesus. Jesus, the night before he was, he was gonna go to the cross, he went to this garden called the Garden of Gethsemane He is so full of anxiety. He's so full of stress that the the Bible says he actually had a medical condition where he's so tense that the the blood vessels in his forehead burst and he sweated blood. That's how how tense he is because he knows he's gonna face the cross. And in that moment, he, he called out to God and he gave him a now and how. He's like, Father, can you take this cup from me? It's a Bible verse of saying, God, is there just another way of doing this thing besides me being crucified? And his father basically said, no. Like, this is the path that we have to take, right? This is the path we have to take. His father did not abandon him in that moment. His father was with him in the garden, but he didn't stop the process and he didn't make all of his problems go away. His now and his how did not determine his presence. And if we could remember one thing, when our heads spin and our hearts pounded, just one thing, I'm not alone, I'm not forgotten. God is with me. He's my ever-present help in time of trouble. And what happens is we'll, when, we, when we make that decision to just believe one thing, I don't have to believe 10 things, just one thing. I don't have to believe five principles, just believe one thing. I will start to see ways that God prepared hot bread and cool water for me. And it will remind me of his presence in, his, in, our, in my life, okay? So Jesus shows up in Elijah's life like that and he works in him, 
And, and he says, eat this and rest some more. So Elijah goes back to sleep, right? He goes back to sleep. He rests for a little bit. And then the Bible says that God wakes him up again. Then the angel of the Lord came again, touched him again and said, get up, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. I think this is a little bit low-key hilarious because there's no happy ending here. It's not like, and he ate the bread and everything was good in the morning. God comes back to Elijah and says, hey, big guy, eat some more. How come? Because uh, we're not actually done. I thought you were going to get me out of this. Nope. In fact, when you read the story, Elijah's got 40 more days of this. Right? Imagine how disillusioning that is. I'm not, like, I'm not even near the end. No, we're not even, like, we're kind of in the middle of the beginning. We have a long journey still to take. I want you to eat some more, and I'm going to sustain you because we're going to take this journey that's ahead of you. Right? Now, why don't you catch this? How we think about the darkest valley is really, really important. How we think about the darkest valley is really, really important. Because can you imagine poor Elijah? He wanted out of that, and he wanted out of it right now. And God said, you're actually going to be into it, and you're going to be in it for a while. But we're going to take a journey, and this journey is ahead of you. It's not actually behind you. How you view the darkest valley is important. This is what I've noticed a lot of times. When you think about the darkest valleys in your life, you cannot go around them. You should not build a home in them. You have to go through them. And what happens a lot of times when we are in despair, many of us will try to go around it. I'm going to make this pain go away. I can, I can numb it with addictions. I can drink it away, porn it away, drug it away, sex it away, eat it away. I'm going to make it go away. It never works because you cannot go around the valley. I'm going to deny it away. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Joy of the Lord is my strength. Like you're, you're, you're lying. You cannot go around the darkest valley. Some of us have built homes in the darkest valley. We look and say, my, my identity now is that I have a hard life. My identity is my past sin. My identity is my pain. My identity is my addiction. My identity is that I'm a victim. And I built a home in the darkest valley. Jesus looks at Elijah and he says, no, we're gonna go through through it, and it, it's, it's going to be nerve-wracking, it's going to be painful, but I'm going to be with you because I'm ever-present. But we're going to move through this valley, and it's a journey that we're going to take, and we're going to go all the way through this valley, because I have a purpose and a point that I'm going to bring out in this valley, and the only way for that to come all the way to maturity is by going through it. How we view the valley is really critical 
Because if we don't view the valley as a journey that I'm taking with Christ, I'll resent the valley, I'll deny the valley, the valley will define my, the darkness will define who I am. But if I will remember that Christ is with me, he's sustaining me, he's journeying with me, I can take the journey through the valley with him. Now what's fascinating is this. Jesus says this to Elijah, and Elijah gets this burst of energy. And when I was reading this, I was like, this is the way that we work. He gets this burst of energy. He heard a killer sermon. He heard a great song. Oh, holy night. Woohoo, I am in. Like he got this burst of energy. And he was like, he left church that night. And he was like, I am going to go through the valley. That's what I'm going to do. By like the next night, he was like, I can't exist anymore. Like he, he went off kind of on his own for a second. He's like, I got you, God. I'm amped up. I'm going to move through. I heard the sermon. I heard the verse. I heard the song. I got the T-shirt. And I'm going to go through the valley. And he got this burst of energy. And I see us do this all the time. I do this all the time. I'm in a valley. I hear something. It'll inspire me. I totally see the world differently. 24 hours, I'm back in the valley. I'm never doing that again. 24 hours, I'm back in the valley. I mean it. I'm not going to eat Taco Bell. An hour later, I'm in the drive. Like, we will get on these bandwagons and off these bandwagons. And if you, if you try to go through the valley, if you're going to positive think your way out of despair, you're not going to get out of it. If you're going to detoxify toxic people in your life out of the valley of the uh, darkest valley, you're not getting out of it. If you're going to self-help your way out of the valley, you're just going to wind up running around in circles in the valley. Christ has to go on this journey with you, and he has to sustain you through the valley. So Elijah tried that, didn't work out, runs out of gas, and what he does is he kind of crashes in this cave And he's back in his cave, and he's overwhelmed again with despair. And Jesus meets him at this cave, and he says to him, the Lord said to him, "Uh, what are you doing, Elijah? (laughs) Why are you in the cave? Right? He's like, "Uh, I thought we were journeying through the valley. You're building a home in it. You're trying to go around it. Why are we in the cave? And Elijah gives him one of the best answers in the whole Bible. He says, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but Elijah looks back at Jesus and he's like, you're asking me why I'm in the cave. I've been telling you why I'm in the cave. My friends are gone. I don't have an income. I'm unsafe. I'm living in a cave. I'm going through a valley. Like, what is it that you don't understand, God? And he, there's a frustration where Elijah's looking back and saying, I've been trying to serve you, but you gave me like the worst job ever. And I'm getting all the blowback for it. I've been trying to keep this family together. I've been trying to put a roof over people's head. I've been trying to have a good spirit in the middle while I'm laying there in the MRI machine. I'm trying to pray and praise you. While I'm going, I'm, my, my job got blown out and I still put money in the back. Like, what do you want from me? You're really asking me why I'm in this cave, right? And what fascinates me in this place is God's reaction to him. 
Jesus does not lay him out. Listen, I'm the potter, you're the clay. How about you? Shut it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't throw Bible verses at him, right? I, you're supposed to not worry about anything. He doesn't do that. He doesn't preach a sermon at him. He doesn't throw a song at him. In fact, it's really fascinating. What he says to Elijah is he's like, Elijah, come out of the cave and talk with me for a minute. Come out of the cave and talk with me for a minute. Elijah comes out of the caves and talks with him, and the Lord shows up, but how he shows up is fascinating. The Bible says this. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain where the cave was, It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. It's fascinating. When we're in the darkest valley, listen, if you're in a dark valley right now, if you're in despair, there's not a tornado coming. You're not gonna hear this incredible sermon. The Reverend Doctor, he was on fire tonight, and I heard it once, and it changed my life, and all my problems went away. That's not gonna happen. There's not an earthquake, right? I, the, mute, the worship was just like incredible. It blew my mind and all my problems. Went. That's not going to happen. There's not a fire. There's not going to be this one phrase. This, somebody's going to say this one thing and it's going to change your life forever. Right? I remember a few years ago, a guy came and met with me and he said, uh, he said, Pastor Jeff, I've been trying to meet with you for, for six months or three months, whatever it was. I said, okay. And he goes, I just know that if I could sit down with you and tell you my problem, that you would say something to me and it would forever change my life because you're so knowledgeable and you're so wise. And I looked at him, I said, bud, you were in for a major letdown. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. When, when your life is in despair, there, there's not a, a fortune cookie that's going to change everything. When Jesus wanted to interact with Elijah, he did it through a whisper. He did it through a whisper. And he reminded him of his presence. And he reminded him of where he was at on the journey, and he called him forward, right? I like to say this. When you're in despair, the next big step is the next step. It's a great tattoo. The next big step is the next step. And deciding, just remembering one thing, God is with me. And I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know my way out. And I don't have to have a magic bullet. And actually, my problems probably are not going to go away anytime soon. 
But when I listen to the whisper, God calls me, draws me to the next step. When I was trying to figure this conversation out, I was, uh, I was reminded of something that happened when I was in college that has uh, deeply marked my life. Uh, when I was in college, I went home for Christmas break uh, one year. My dad had a heart attack, and uh, he was having a heart attack in the house. I threw him in the car, driving to the hospital, trying to keep him conscious. It, it was... It was as dramatic, like you get to the hospital, there's a crash cart, there's like a nurse on him giving him, pumping his chest. Everything you see in a movie was happening in real time in my life, right? So I'm watching this happen. Call my mom, my mom comes down, she's shaken. Dad had had a series of health issues. Our, our, our life was, my life growing up was difficult in, in many ways, and my mom and dad's life was, a, was difficult. And so health was a big part of that difficulty. So I remember that night, you know, we go through all that, they get his heart going again, he's in ICU, he's on machines, he's incubated. Uh, my sisters had come over, um, but they, it was like nighttime now. My brother wasn't there yet, but it was like nighttime now. And I think my one sister was pregnant and then my other one had like little kids at home and so they, uh, um, they couldn't stay the night but mom wouldn't leave. So I said, I'll stay. Mom laid down on the couch in like this intensive care waiting room and I laid down on the floor and we're just trying to rest and, and be there with dad. I remember, I don't remember when it was exactly, but it was sometime like in the middle of the night, like in the, in the early AMs, right? And I'm laying there and this lady had come in and sat down and she was just, like almost violently sobbing. I don't, I don't know what happened, but somehow her loved one on the, you know, intensive care, so it's like bad, and so she's like violently sobbing. She's, she's crying so hard that it woke me up. So I woke up on the floor, and I'm laying there, and I'm looking around. I look, and I could see my mom, and so I'm like, is that mom? And it wasn't. And then I kind of realized it's like, it's this lady over here, and then I started being worried that she was going to wake up mom. So I'm kind of watching mom and watching her, and sure enough, mom woke up. And she woke up, and I'll, I'll never forget this, like the look on her face. Like she woke up, and like she kind of like made herself open her eyes. And she's trying to get her bearings, and then she kind of looks over, and she sees the lady. And so I'm looking at mom, I'm looking at the lady and, and like laying there. And uh, I watched my mom and my mom got like this look of like, I, I, it's hard to, like she got this look on her face of, it was almost like, really? It was kind of that like, and I'm watching her and she has this look on her face. I thought maybe she was annoyed with the lady. She's like, Really? And then I watched her close her eyes for a minute and then like she wanted it to go away and then she like opened her eyes again and she like sat up. And so she sat up on the couch, she kind of sat there for a minute, looked at the ground, looked at the lady, looked at the ground 
And she was there for a second, and then she stood up. But she stood up like she had a barbell on her back. You know, she stood up. And she looked at this lady, and she walked over to this lady, and she sat down on the couch with this lady, and she put her arm around her, and she just started singing, Jesus loves you, to this lady. And she sang, Jesus loves you, to this lady. She talked to her, found out what was going on in her life, and then she prayed with her, right? I was thinking about this this week, and I, I was thinking about... I, this is what I thought. I thought, I wonder what all of that sounded like in my mother's heart. And she wakes up. I know, she, I know some of what she was thinking because she told me. I've talked to her about this a bunch of times before she passed away. She woke up and she felt like the Lord told her to go put her arm around this lady. I'm like, I, I wonder what that conversation sounded like. Did it sound like a sermon? Did it sound like a set of Bible verses? Did it sound like a t-shirt? Or did it sound like a whisper? My mom's name was Phyllis. I'm like, that sounded like Phyllis. Phyllis. There's a journey ahead. And it wasn't a journey she wanted to take. Who wants to take that? And it wasn't a journey that she, she looked forward to. She wanted out of it. It wasn't Phyllis, I healed him. It was... Phyllis. And I almost visualize it like God reaching down and helping her stand up. Jesus putting his arm around her and walking her over. And then she's just singing a little song that she probably had to keep singing to herself to remind her she wasn't alone and forgotten. In the dark valley, the next big step is the next one. The big step feels like waking up. The big step feels like sitting up. The big step feels like walking over there. But the Bible says something fascinating. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Isn't that fascinating? When you take the next step, you find new strength for the next one. And when you take the next one, you find new strength for the next one. And you string those steps together, and now we're taking a journey. And it is a journey through the darkest valley, but it's not a journey that you're taking alone. 
And there's all kinds of things God is doing in that journey. I was thinking about this week. I'm like, Lord, really? Uh, this, this thing is so burned in my mind, right? So this week I'm thinking about it. I'm like, really, Lord? I mean, that's kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's low-key like too much. Her husband's dying. Her family's in turmoil. And now she's got to go take care of somebody. Why'd you do that? Why would you ask that of my mother? So I started to think about that. Are you ready? And I started to see hot bread and cool water. Like that lady, that lady needed to be reminded that Jesus loves her. My mother my mother needed to have new strength, and that comes from trust. And then I'm laying there. And I can tell you through my life, when I'm done, when I am done, every time I'm done, I watched my mother walk across that room. It was, it was for me, too. It was, and you start seeing all this hot bread and cool water. Because you just, you just believed one thing. One thing. That an ever-present God will never leave you or forsake you. And when you believe that one thing, if you, and it's hard to believe sometimes, but if, if you're gonna fight for something, fight for that one thing, because it's true. And when you fight and you, if you can get a hold of that one thing, okay. my mom didn't have an easy life. I haven't had an easy life, my childhood. But if you ask my mom, how do you feel about God? She would literally look at you and she would say, Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible told me so. I'm just holding on to this. The next big step is the next step. And it walks you through the darkest valley. Okay. This is how God works. There aren't five principles. There's not this killer verse. And I'm not, I'm just not that insightful. I got nothing. But God gave us this. And he, he shows us, right? He shows us. Okay. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for helping us with this, loving us with it. Lord, we, we need to know. We need to know that you're with us. So God, in these still moments, in each of our individual valleys, 
would you whisper to us? Would you just whisper to us and remind us of your presence? God, in this still moment, would you give us just a a kernel of faith, just enough to believe that you're with us, that we're not forgotten and we're not alone, just just a little bit, God, to hold on to. Would you give that to us? And God, as that takes root, would you just let us see the hot bread and the cool water, your goodness? just to take your hand and take the next step. You're doing something. All things work together for the good of those of us who believe and love and trust you. You're accomplishing something. God, if we if we could just walk and we're grateful that we don't do it alone and that you help us in every every step of the way. So God, in these moments, in this stillness, would you you make your presence known?